0: changing the world of work isn't about tactics it's not about meetings or metrics it isn't about the benefits perks or opportunities it's about being brave enough to put love first everything rises and falls on leadership so as leaders we're the ones who have to make it happen this is the love in action podcast and here's your host marcel schwantes
1: Welcome to another episode of the Love in Action podcast, where we have deep and real conversations with the world's top influencers, leaders, and experts about the powerhouse that is love. Love that will transform your work culture, lead to innovation, create business impact, and generate profits. Now, let me start this episode by asking you a few hold up and mirror kind of questions because I'm just as guilty myself as some of these. So so here we go. Have you ever wondered why you continue to make the same kinds of decisions over and over again and with the same results? Have you, or have you ever regretted how you handled something? Maybe um, how you handled a certain interaction with somebody? Even though you knew what the proper response should have been, I'm raising my hand right now. Have you ever had trouble getting through to someone or just felt misunderstood yourself? My hand is still up. In a groundbreaking new book, corporate consultant Stephen Clemage and his wife, clinical psychologist Mara Clemage, They have created a radical new approach to identifying what drives human behavior, why we do the things we do. And they have harnessed those principles into a a new and unique approach geared towards kind of steering away from those self-limiting thoughts and and the fear and those ego-driven behaviors that hold us back, thus unlocking our true potential. In the book Above the Line, living, and Leading with Heart, the authors examine how the heart and the brain work together to shape our character, and they, they have identified four universal character principles which drive human behavior. So for 30 years, the Clemichs have studied, coached, practiced, and researched these four universal principles with the goal of helping people like you and me find the best versions of ourselves. So, who is Dr. Mara Klemich? Well, she is a consulting psychologist with degrees in clinical psychology and neuropsychology from the University of Sydney and the University of Paris. And she is co founder of Heart Styles. She spent more than 15 years as a clinical neuropsychologist working in the areas of alcohol related brain damage, neurology and neurosurgery, neuropsychiatry eating disorders, pain management, and trauma counseling in emergency departments. She also practiced as a forensic neuropsychologist in Australia's criminal system, working on some of the highest profile criminal cases down under. This should be a fascinating conversation, and it is my pleasure to welcome you, Mara, to the Love in Action podcast. Thank you so much, Marcel. Looking forward to it. Me too. Me too. So, we have a ritual here that uh, we always start out with this question What makes you smile when you get up in the morning these days?
0: Well, because I live in London, I smile a lot. And days like today, when I got up, because it actually was a blue sky. <laughs> and in London, it's not that often that you get a blue sky. And um, just being healthy. And mm. you know, I'm just incredibly blessed to be healthy and to, um, to live in the lovely place that I'm blessed to live.
1: That's great. That's Mm -hmm. great. So before we dive into the book, I'm really curious about the backgrounds of both you and your husband. So like I mentioned in my introduction, you know, for over 30 years, you guys, you guys have drawn upon your expertise in psychology, neuroscience and leadership to help people become the best version of themselves. So I'm curious, explain to us how you combined your backgrounds to to do this.
0: Well, um, Stephen, my husband, came from um, a business background. He started in business when he was quite young, in his early 20s, and had progressed through a a process of working with people and then training people and becoming a facilitator and really living out his passion for helping people develop. I came from a very different, very clinical background, um, as you've told the listeners, that I came from a very... um, clinical background in the hospital system and also uh, in dealing with um, forensic work, assessment work. Um, So I'm a clinical psychologist, but I'm also a neuro. Um, So I used to be very passionate about both of those things. So, you know, I'd be counselling people in the trauma department and then I'd also be assessing people as a neuropsych. So um, I think for me, I then decided that I didn't one day want to turn 50 and think all I've ever known is abnormality as, as wonderful as that is, but I wanted to see what does the human being, what can they do with their lives when they've got all of their brain intact and the only thing that's holding them back is their own fear? And so I managed to get across into the consulting world, and that's where I met Stephen. Um it's a bit of a funny thing because we actually met at a training course, would you believe? It's very horribly boring, but it was great <laughs> that brought us together, and we then uh, I joined his company. And the two of us, basically, since um, that time of, uh, well, since 94, actually, when I joined his company, yeah, we've been working at, um, having a great privilege to help people um, just become the best of who they are, shedding some of those fears and <laughs> things that yeah. hold them back, yeah.
1: Well, I just thought that was unique, because you're a formidable, formidable duo, because he he has the consulting leadership side, you have the mm. psych and neuroscience psych, and you combine all that and here we are. And so I want to dive into this book that you wrote that you and your husband wrote above sure. the line, mm-hmm. which was released last month. Give us a, an overview of the book first, before we start drilling down and, and why you wrote it.
0: Well, maybe I'll answer the second part first. The reason sure. we wrote it, um, is because we so many of our clients, we work with a lot of corporate, large corporate clients, um, have been asking us for so many years to actually put all of the material into a book because the type of work that we do doesn't just affect the person in in their leadership capacity, it, it actually gets to the heart of who they are as a person. And so the the development that they had in their life uh, was noted generally by their spouse or <laughs> their close <laughs> family who are like, whoa, what happened to you? Um, and then those people would say, can my spouse or can my family get, get some of this this information, not just me. I want I want them to learn as well. And so, we realised that we were limited in being able to bring this type of, um, well, we hope, um, amazing work that releases people into their potential, by running it through programs in organisations, etc. And and we do a lot of pro bono work, you know, with uh, with communities as well. So the book is our way of trying to reach as many people as possible who might not ever really have the opportunity to learn this type of, of information and hopefully life-changing um, spirit on, on the material.
1: Mm. Well, wow. Okay.
0: So what is the book about? Well, um, it's basically in, in, a, in three parts. Why we do the things we do. And that's a combination of our, our thinking as well as our heart, how our head and our heart actually work for us, but also sometimes against us
1: yeah.
0: um, to not really give us the outcomes that, that we would want in our intention. And then we talk about what that looks like in behaviour. Yeah. And then we look at some how-tos in terms of how to develop. So we've tried to put that all into a little package called a book And as part of it, you, people can go online and do a free um, self-assessment as well so that they can have their little self-assessment, the chapter four, and keep reading the book and then looking at themselves in terms of how that means something to them. And hopefully um, it can bring about some personal change, which would be great.
1: Okay. So without giving away the (laughs) pipeline yet, because I'm going to get into those four universal principles here Mm -hmm. in a minute, but. You know, I mentioned in my introduction, and you just, you just said it yourself, that, you know, so many of us do the same things over and over, right? We make the same decisions again and again with the same results, often bad results. So how do you describe, quote, why we do the things we do <laughs> in, in, in easy to understand
0: language? Ah, oh, well, here's a little formula. You ready? Yes. S plus T equals B. What does that mean? Well, S stands for situation and T stands for thinking. And those two things will give you behaviour mm. because our behaviour is determined by our thinking in any given situation. But the interesting thing about that that T, that thinking, is that it also contains, most importantly, a couple of other T's. And the first one is triggers because there will be triggers in our environment, of of our present-day environment, that will trigger the next T, which is old templates in our thinking. And these templates are the stored memories and the emotions that went with them that have happened to us, our experiences. It's like a filing cabinet in our brain. And these templates are triggered through cues in your current environment and so your little your little filing cabinet gets opened out and out comes a template it gets incredibly complicated in terms of how um well not complicated well it's complex i suppose what's happening because the brain is naturally doing this every split second of the day to try to make us feel comfortable so it pulls up old templates mm. so when you're walking along the street it's pulling up templates this is a bush this is a tree feel comfortable, this is a person walking towards you. But with that, that's at a very, very granular level, but with that, it's also making you feel comfortable in your present moment. And the trouble with templates in the way that they're actually filed in our brain, the area of the brain that they're filed in, which we'll call for, for want of a better term the limbic system, is that that limbic system doesn't know the difference between fantasy and reality. Ooh. All it knows is a template, which is memories and emotions. So when it's trying to be helpful in pulling up old templates, sometimes those old templates, when when they're good templates, they're positive templates, like you smell something because templates get triggered by the senses, our, our senses. So, you know, when you smell something, And it's a positive thing. And all of a sudden you remember, oh, that's the apple pie smell that my grandmother used to make. And all of a sudden you have these wonderful feelings, emotions, and physiology as well. You can almost taste it. It's that strong. And so what can happen if you have a negative template of walking into your boss's office, for instance, or a colleague's office, when they've said, look, can I just have a chat to you for a moment? And a trigger goes off in your template that says, I know that tone of voice. And all of this can be very subconscious. Then you walk into that office. You could already be prepping yourself to be quite defensive when all they wanted to do was have a chat about something and they were in a bit of a hurry. So they might have sounded a bit abrupt. So does that make sense? So what what can happen is that these templates, positive and negative, can keep popping up for us. And subconsciously, they may be driving some of our fear-based behaviour or pride-based behavior to protect ourselves and we don't even realize we're doing it. Ah okay ah, because the final T in, in our thinking, the final T is truth. And what these old templates can do is that we create beliefs around those old templates to protect ourselves or to also um, you know be positive and, and develop ourselves. We develop strategies and sometimes those truths are actually my truth, not the truth hence that example of I could be quite defensive on that because I got triggered as I walk into my boss's uh, bosses or colleague's office because I've suddenly told myself a story. They're irritated with me, so I'll better just get ready to fight when, in fact, that might not be the truth. But in that moment, it's my truth and I believe it. Does that make sense or do I sound I'm, like I'm, a textbook? I am <laughs> writing this
1: now and I'm just gobbling this up. Um, so here's what I'm thinking, get to the truth, which may, may not be current reality. Like you said, right. It, 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 it may be fantasy, mm-hmm. but to me, to break that false truth, you got to back up to the template, yep. which you have filed away, mm-hmm. which you may, you know, you, you're, you keep pulling it up yeah. from the drawer,
0: yep.
1: but the template is is there because it, it it has triggered. So you're going back to the first, well, the second T really triggers. You're being triggered in a, so emotionally to now pull up this, this uh, template that's telling you, this is your current belief system, which is, which is not reality, but the trigger Mm -hmm. is caused out of your thinking, which is the first T. So if I go back to your thing, so I I guess the point of origin of this crazy cycle that can lead us to crazy behaviors or or thinking or, well, crazy behaviors um, starts with our thinking because your original equation was situation plus thinking equals behavior. Mm -hmm. So how do we break the cycle if it starts with our thinking? Or maybe it's the situation we're in. (laughs) Talk talk me through that.
0: Well... Um, Let's, let's just, um, maybe if I use another a simple example, because I think for some, a lot of people could hopefully relate to that. Let's say you've got two people walking along Central, in Central Park and all of a sudden a dog comes running out barking. Jane looks at that dog and says, thinks, oh, there must be something wrong with that dog. I might just go and pat it and make sure it's okay because Jane has a history and some templates around having had a puppy when they were, when she was 5 and always grew up and her her um belief is that her template and and her truth is that all dogs are great you know they 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 should be looked after John who's walking along with her all of a sudden gets incredibly upset and starts to try to hide behind a tree or gets really 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 worried because his template has just been popped up is I was bitten by a dog when I was five, or I saw someone bitten by a dog when I, when I was five, and dogs are dangerous because every time they bark, they're going to bite you. So both of these have their own truth, but neither of those are actually their truth because not all dogs are, are happy dogs. Sometimes they do bite, and not all dogs bite. Right. Sometimes they're happy. So until we actually start to know what happens for us with templates, and one of the keys of doing that is that whenever you have a physical change in your, not just your emotions, but in your physical body, chances are there's a template that's just been triggered and you may actually not know it. So one of the things I always say to people in coaching is even if you can't get to the exact template of what's happening for you, of why you um, get fairly defensive every time you go into a meeting uh, in the workplace, Um, it's actually trying to work out what's happening for you physiologically because the the other part of all of this is whenever a template is created and it's usually created because that experience was significant to you, either positively or negatively. When it's encoded into our filing cabinet, it's not only encoded with the emotions and the memory, it's encoded with the physical, Mm. the physiology that went with it at the time. So you can see that where, it, where it's a positive thing like the apple pie that you might get triggered and remembering oh that taste tasted lovely my grandmother used to make that you get all of the physiology just most of us don't realise it. It's the negative ones obviously that when they pop up it it drives us subconsciously to want to protect ourselves because it makes us feel incredibly uncomfortable. Mm. So if we can start to to look at what happens for me physiologically when I have these patterns that I can maybe see that I do you can start to chip away what's happening for you and start to make changes by being able to preempt S plus T equals B. These sorts of situations generally cause me to be a bit more defensive. What is going on for me? Ah, maybe it's one of my templates. So in that way, we can slowly chip away and start to make different choices.
1: I would put this under the realm of... Uh, catching you in the middle of a trigger through self-awareness. Yes, yes. Because, like. you, and, and the self-awareness is really monitor those physiological symptoms. So mm. if you start to, uh, you know, get sweaty or, yeah, well, I don't know, you tell me, what, what are some of the physiological symptoms that we would feel?
0: Yeah,
1: that's a good question. Like, you know, n- f- fear or um, et cetera.
0: Mm. Well, getting sweaty is, is actually uh, a really good example, though I'm sure most Ladies would say, "Oh, I don't sweat; I perspire," because we're very delicate creatures. Um, <laughs> so, um, getting hot as well—not just sweaty, but hot. Um, sometimes people uh, report that they get—they start to, to clamp on their jaw, mm. um, a tightness in your neck, a tightness in your chest. Um, I know with my, my particular my templates and my um, old triggers, I get a, a real tightness in my chest when I go from being a positive achiever to a perfectionistic striver. Um, and I'm convincing myself I'm not um, a tightness I'm uh, feeling sick as well. People feel a bit sort of nauseous in their stomach. So those okay. sorts of things are fairly typical. Okay. Hmm.
1: So I, I still want to walk through this cycle because this is so powerful for our listeners to know that we can change in the moment. If we can catch ourselves with these symptoms then um, then are we now at the point where we can change the templates where we don't have where, where we can change the way we believe in, 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 in those old templates so that we don't so that we don't pull them up from our files. Is that what we're doing then in that moment where we're getting triggered? Yeah. We can make a choice in the moment right there. I'm not going to believe where this is going. Does that sound fair or accurate?
0: Yeah, it sounds, It's yes, it is. Um, it does take a little bit of time, however. It's not as simple as that. Because of the the whole physiology element of it, um, when we're in the grip of a template, it's, um, it can be absolutely overwhelming. And the only thing you, you want to do, and this is all very subconscious for most people, is protect yourself. So I'm talking about negative templates, obviously, well, positive ones ones sure. is great, you know, yeah. um, but if we talk about the negative ones. So the way we also teach this is that when a template is triggered, because that part of the brain doesn't have language, it's just got emotions and memories, and it tends to work in metaphor as well, it doesn't have language, it's got a lot of metaphor and symbolism, it needs to talk to another part of the brain to say, well, okay, what is this thing that I'm experiencing and what am I going to do about it? What's my strategy? And that part of the brain that, for our terminology, we call it the neocortex or the prefrontal cortex, that part of the brain is where logic is, where analysis is, where language is. So it names it and says, oh, there's that that awful template of, of feeling small last time someone spoke to you like that. You don't want that. You need to do something so that that doesn't happen to you again. And so it creates a strategy that um, could be what we would call below the line, which means it's a coping strategy in either pride or fear, um, to put a a cover around you, a coat to protect you. Um, Or if you've been working on this for a while, it could be a positive strategy, which would be above-the-line strategy, which would be a character-building, humility or love-based strategy. Strategy, which is what we would all hope to get to one day, most right. of the time.
1: Okay, so um, I think it's absolutely key that we get to the point where we change our templates so we can arrive at a different truth.
0: Yeah.
1: Does that sound right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. So you mentioned already. So you, you you gave a little bit of the punchline, but so let's dive into those um, those uh, above the line and below the line universal principles. There are four of them. Unpack them for us. But but Mara, also tell us, how did you arrive at, at these four?
0: Oh, there's a couple of stories with that, Marcel. <laughs> 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 oh, it depends which one you want. Um, they're all valid, just they're, they're very different. Um, we had observed for many, many years that no matter what culture you came from, um, what language you spoke, there seemed to be this common denominator for people that we're, in being human, we would either be operating out of very simplistically love and security or fear and insecurity. Hmm. And whenever we were in insecurity, what most of us do is that we actually try to hold on to our security through external means. And by that I mean through outside in, through. Competing with other people and feeling better than them, or trying to control our environment so that we feel okay, or make sure that everyone thinks I'm really, really nice and approval seek everywhere, so that and people please, so that I feel okay about myself, rather than operating out of security and love, um, where you're really building your character and with your authenticity and your self awareness, etc. So, out of that very simple duality. We then started to ask the question, well, what is, is there anything else about that? And what happens when you see people who are either passive or, or aggressive in their style, when they're below the line in fear? And so then we realised, well, actually, there's this other thing that happens when we go into fear. Um, sometimes we, go, we become passive, but other times we can be really egotistical. And so we realised that that actually was a pride, ego-driven, pride-based type of behaviour. And then above the line, we thought, well, what's love about and and authenticity and um, integrity and building our character? What is that really about? And we we actually began to see that it was around humility.
1: Mm.
0: Courageous humility is what we call it, because I think it takes a lot of courage to be humble. And it's not in a weak way. It's actually build strength but a lot of people still see vulnerability and humility as, as a weak thing you know but in fact it's not
1: right. so
0: out of all of that came our four we decided like all good little consultants and psychologists we thought right let's make a four quadrant model out of that but it's really easy to, to interpret and so our above the line um, you know principles were courageous hum- humility and growth driven love because the more that you grow yourself you have out of that full cup if you like, you can actually grow others versus self-limiting fear and ego-driven pride. And that's how we we ended up doing that. And then we started looking at what sort of, over a couple of, quite a few years actually, what sort of behaviours did we see that came out of those principles? And we ended up with four uh, four behaviours in each of those quadrants and 16 in, in all. It's probably 166, but we've ended up (laughs) with 16. (laughs) Otherwise it'd be really complicated. (laughs) So to recap for me, uh, the four are,
1: there's two above the line, courageous humility. So that's focusing on character and personal development. Mm -hmm. Growth driven love is focusing on growing others. Yes. And then the two below the line is ego driven pride, which really is focusing on self-promotion. Mm-hmm. And then Self-Limiting Fear, which is really about self-protecting. Fantastic. So, good. Now, you describe this, this yin-yang-like balancing act that every person does between these four principles. And I guess you talk about it in your book that apparently on any given day, we can go around and round from fear to love to pride and and, and, and back to humility, etc. So walk us through that. <laughs>
0: Well, I don't know. Does that, has that ever happened to you? Maybe it's just us.
1: <laughs> it sounds like a, you know, a, a, a multiple personality syndrome. I don't know. I'm not an I'm throwing that out. <laughs>
0: oh, dear. Well, if we think back to our little formula, S plus T equals B, I can be, in some situations, really confident and secure in who I am, and therefore my behavior will be above the line. Because I'm, I'm free, you know, I'm free to, to be me, i um, happy in my skin, and I am free to be able to devote my time to helping others develop as well. But in other situations, for various old templates, I might get very, very insecure. So it's the same person, but I am, and we say this in the book a lot, I am an and, A N D we are all as human beings and, and the same person can be in some situations, confident, loving, caring, and in other situations could actually be quite defensive. And so the question then becomes what's happening for me that in these sorts of situations, my pattern is, you know, above the line behavior and thinking, but in these other sorts of situations, (laughs) even in the same day, I can actually go down and become quite defensive, based on either you know ego-driven pride or um, self-limiting fear. So, we can all you know some of us could do it in an in an hour. We can go left, left, right, and center, and up and down. But for most of us, we've got a, a, a sort of default pattern of our insecurity.
1: Mm. Mm. Okay. So we we focused on. Uh, pride and fear, but I want to, I want to jump to uh, the principles of humility or love, which so when the heart operates out of those two above the line principles, and you know, these are soft and squishy words for (laughs) business, Yeah. but but what have you seen in your research that are some outcomes that can change our company culture and how we lead and how we work?
0: Mm. Well, I've had the great privilege of seeing quite a lot of this, which is um, it sort of makes you feel good about humanity, really, (laughs) which is good. (laughs) I've spent so many years um, assessing prisoners for inverter trials, but there we go. I always do joke, however, that I think that prepared me for working with CEOs in organisations. That that is a joke, Um, not really. Um, So how do we see that? Well, um, one of the things that we have seen is, I can give you an example, a CEO and a leadership team that we worked with and we had worked with them for a few years. They were in a, uh, a, big, it's a big American organization and unfortunately that market um, and that, that area of the company had been doing very, very poorly. And there was a lot of fear in that culture. We could see it was driven by the CEO and the leadership team because they were um, in fear around trying to save this company. And they had been in litigation and war with a supplier for a very, very long time. And We, in working with this leadership team, we actually got them to a point where they realised, and to the great credit of that CEO, he realised that he had been driving, 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 driving through ego-driven pride and controlling and striving all over the place and had created a culture of fear. Mm -hmm. And when we were able to build or rebuild the trust in that team, that team then went to this supplier, and they asked us to actually um, mediate, to teach the supplier, the senior team, the same thing that we had taught taught them, and then spend a day and a half working with them together to try to mediate through these conflicts. And, Marcel, it just was the most amazing thing that that team in that supplier organisation actually saw the same thing and realised how much fear they were in and how aggressive they had been. And so the two parties were actually the next day were able to come to an agreement that just broke all of the years of, of controversy and um, incredible conflict that they'd had. Um, and that, you know, that seemed like an impossible task. But if you can get to people's hearts and actually see, help them see what their behavior is doing, their intention doesn't always equal the behavioral outcome of it and whenever we attach our um, good intention to fear it flips us below the line and most of the time we don't realize it because of course our lovely neocortex is logically trying to explain it away right Mm. so we're a bit blinded to it
1: so if we're operating below the line and uh you know we're caught up in this cycle of Self-driven ego or pride or fear. You talk about these coping strategies. Mm. Tell tell us more about that. Oh,
0: probably maybe if I give my give an example of me. <laughs> okay. <laughs> oh, dear you? <laughs> because I can, you know, probably why I wrote this thing is I've got a lot of them. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I am a highly achievement-driven person, and. When I that achievement drive of mine um, gets attached to a bit of fear for a good intention, like I really want this to work, oops, that good intention can pull me straight down into the opposite of achieving that we call the evil twin of achieving, which is what we call striving, which is perfectionism. And I can actually, in my mind, think that I'm operating in achievement drive. So I'm getting things done and I'm getting everyone mobilised and I'm delegating left, right and centre. But actually what's happening, my behaviour that everyone experiences of how I show up is that I'm sucking the joy out of anything 20 feet around me. It's like a black vortex. Everyone goes into fear because I think they're going to get punished. And, you know, generally happy-go-lucky Mara turns into snarling, you know, perfectionistic Mara. and that becomes a, a really um, difficult place for everyone else. But I am sailing along, convincing myself that I'm actually getting things done and everyone's being highly efficient. But in fact, the outcome of that is not a positive one.
1: Right. So although much of your work focuses on the heart, we're, we're, we've been talking a lot about the heart. You've connected this with different cognitive processes, you know, to define behavior style. So what role does the head and the heart play in our lives?
0: Mm. Well, I think we, we talk about the fact that just practically life happens for us and it affects us in our heart. You know, we feel joy, not in our head physically. We feel it in our heart. We feel pain in our heart, not our head. But whilst we feel these things in our heart, they are stored in our wonderful brain. And so the two of these things work synergistically, if you like, to help us operate as this human being that that we are, with both of our our logic as well as our emotions uh, all wrapped up together in our physiology.
1: Okay. So, Amara, you have created. This uh, awesome online serving tool, the very, very popular Heart Styles Indicator. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it helps people create their personal action driven plan. I would love for you to just kind of touch on what it is and how did you come up with this model? Because it might help a lot of our listeners.
0: Well, the, the Heart Styles Indicator is based on our four principles of life um, courageous, humility, and growth driven love ego-driven pride, and self-limiting fear. And it's a, it comes out as a four-quadrant model where you get a nice graph to show you by answering 75 questions on yourself, which sound like a lot, but when you think about designing a questionnaire like this and then getting it validated, and it started up with 600 questions, can you believe it? Yeah. Having to work our way through some of those, looking at each other saying, how did we ever come up with that? Um, And we got it down to 75 questions. And what happens is you go online and you answer these 75 questions on yourself, but you can do it twice. And the first time you do it, you answer it um, as you would like to be in your ideal self, what you're aiming for, what your aspiration is. And they're all behavioural questions. And then you answer the same 75 on what you if you're being honest with yourself what you think you are actually like today and the computer then spits out a little report for you and it shows you the graph of what you would like to be based on those four principles and those 16 styles of behavior because it then puts all of those um, questions into each each category you don't know where they where they live but it comes out that way. And then you can see what you've answered for um, how you think you're currently operating. And for a lot of people, those two graphs are a little bit different because most of us have pretty strong aspirations. We know what a good job looks like and we want to aspire to being the best of ourselves. But if we're honest with ourselves, a lot of times we, we know we fall short. And so the gap in between those two things um, you can then read the rest of the report and it gives you some ideas of, of where this comes from if you're going below the line and then also some some tips on, on how to um, improve in that area.
1: Perfect. So where mm-hmm. can people go to take the Heart Styles?
0: Um, at our website, which is um, heartstyles.com. And if Perfect. you go on there, um, you can actually go and complete your... Indicator. If you if you buy the book, you can actually get a free online indicator, heart styles indicator. Um, there's a way that's included in the book to be able to to do that. So the idea is to be able to um, complete your indicator after you've you've bought the book, and be able to use that to help yourself and set some action plans as you're reading the book and getting a lot more information and hopefully some um, some more tips on how to develop.
1: Yeah. So before I transition um, to another topic here, I I have this question that is really to kind of give us the bottom line of how we can be the best versions of ourselves. Uh, What would you say, how how can we strive to be that that person, the best version of ourselves instead of the worst?
0: (laughs) Oh, wouldn't that be great? If I had the answer to that, I'd probably be lying on a beach in Bermuda, retired. I'd probably be there with you. (laughs) Yeah, I think a lot of people would be pretty crowded. Yeah. Um, gosh, you know, I think, I think self-awareness, as you said earlier on, is so, so important. And part of that self-awareness is is taking our courage in our hands, if you like, of being able to be okay at looking at those parts of us that we're not that satisfied with. And sometimes for, for most of us as human beings, we tend to shy away from that. And we try to maybe pretend to ourselves that we we don't have that area of fault. And um, I think the more that we can actually face with that courage, face those areas that are not working for us in our relationships or um, how we conduct ourselves in our work environment or in our home environment um, and some of the patterns that we might have if we can recognise those, the more that we can actually start to face those areas and ask the question of what's happening for me, because if we think about the only reason any of us has become defensive is because we're perceiving a real or perceived threat to our security. It's just incredibly sequential and, um, you know, expected. So if we can ask ourselves, oh, what's happening for me when I get defensive in these types of situations, S plus T equals B, and look at bringing that awareness in, and being honest with ourselves. The more we can actually start to operate out of our true character and grow our character, rather than use the below-the-line coping strategies that are like a coat that we put on. Mm. Mm.
1: So we have this tradition here that uh, that where we talk about love and fear, and it so aligns with your work and your book, Mara, and. Uh, and it's important for us to, uh, to kind of drill into people's minds, especially if you are in a leadership role and your and your management style uh, or approach is more fear driven where you lead with the iron fist. And uh, you mentioned, you know, in your example of the CEO and the culture that was kind of a stifling, aggressive environment that sucked the air out of the room.
0: Mm.
1: So I want to get your perspective. Why do you think fear is still so prevalent in how businesses are managed today rather than those above-the-line principles of love and humility? You know, the evidence is overwhelming that those things lead to high performance and results.
0: Mm. Yeah, it is such an interesting thing, isn't it? Um, We as human beings, as I said, I think In businesses, everyone has a good intention of wanting that business to soar in in all of its areas. Obviously, in the corporate world, the language of business is money. So we want our companies to make money, excel, deliver to um, our our stakeholders. So it's very easy if we think back to S plus T equals B Mm. for people to, with the best intention of wanting to make sure that everything is running right and going well, that they're doing it out of a smell of fear that drives them into an aggressive, pride-based coping strategy, like being highly competitive, um, like being highly controlling and, and um, striving, like I said before. And so you tend to see this because I, the way I look at it is it's good intentions, but they've just got attached to fear and that fear has created pride to try to you know make things happen and people are stuck in that that cycle and they don't actually realize the outcome of all of that in the culture that they're creating or have have created and everyone else goes into fear as well and that will either manifest itself in in aggressive behaviors or passive behaviors where everyone keeps their head down and doesn't say anything in case you know that gets chopped off
1: yeah would you say that to reverse this personally and also in your company culture would you say that S plus T equals B? In other words, situation plus thinking equals behavior. If you fit into that model and and you work through it like you have taught us, right? Identify the triggers. Uh, what are the old templates that are causing you to believe the wrong things? Do you think that that would reverse um, how so many CEOs and managers lead through fear?
0: I would say yes I've not, i not only think it, I know it because i've seen it okay yeah i've seen I've seen it so often um, it's been amazing i mean it's obviously a very small corner of the world <laughs> because not everyone's doing it, but the people that we've worked with over many, many years um, in many industries definitely um, and I think that's where the the simplicity of those four universal principles work because when someone realizes that their behavior is seen as aggressive and ego-driven and it's creating fear in people around them they have that that moment of choice so first sometimes it's a moment of horror of actually realizing that that their good intention hasn't actually happened in the way that they hasn't behaviorally manifested in the way that they thought and they start to see it's like putting a different lens on you know they start to see oh okay my i thought i was being you know, I'm delegating, but in fact, I'm actually controlling everyone. People can change, because if you think about those defensive strategies, they're like a coat that people put on. You can take the coat off. It takes a bit of time to get used to the new the new version of what's underneath. <laughs> but they can take the coat off and create new templates and new um, decision making in terms of how they they think and how they they behave.
1: Yeah. How they and, lead. Mm. right and operate from above the line principles yeah you
0: know? yeah my okay. husband always says that we've created and was well, we haven't created it but we're we're putting in a new four-letter word into the, the corporate world love mm. you know because we got laughed out of boardrooms 20 yeah. years ago <laughs> with that <That's> Right. <laughs> yes yeah, things are changing
1: I I, that's right i would have gotten uh, laughed laughed at myself had i mm. uh, started this podcast uh, even <laughs> 10 years ago yes
0: exactly so. gosh Wow.
1: So before we bring it home with my final two questions, what advice would you give your 20-year-old self?
0: Oh, what a question. I would say that real character strength is not hardening your heart and forging ahead, being tough, because that's what I did in my 20s to cope with a couple of uh tragic circumstances and, and difficult health issues and um it did not serve me well so yes that's what I would say that the character is actually facing your fear and having the the courage to actually walk through it. Yeah. Hmm.
1: I love it. So Mara, closing our conversation, we do it this way personally, what is really tugging at your heart right now that you would like our listeners to know?
0: If we had more compassion for each other, the world would be in a different place. It makes me think about that a lot in so many different parts of, of our world. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Beautifully put. And finally, what is that one thing you would like our listeners to absolutely walk away with that's going to make a difference in their lives?
0: Um, a similar thing. To have compassion not only for yourself but for other people, the next time someone really annoys you by their behaviour or upsets you by their behaviour, to look beyond the behaviour into the heart of the person, because the only reason any of us become defensive is because we are fearing something, either real or imagined. And I think the more that we can see that in other people rather than just hooking into the behaviour and just engaging in, you know, in behaviour... Um, the more you can actually maybe brighten someone's day. You can be more compassionate. You can change your, the atmosphere around you. Yeah,
1: She is Dr. Mara Clemich. And the book is Above the Line, Living and Leading with Heart. How can our listeners connect with you? Where do they go if they want to learn more about you?
0: They could go to our website, heartstyles.com. Um, we're on Facebook and LinkedIn and Instagram, Stephen and Mara Klemek. And uh, also Above the Line. So they can find us through that.
1: This has been a truly a delightful conversation. I cannot wait for the edited verse so I can listen to it again and learn even more. There are so many great little nuggets there that can truly transform our lives. I really want to appreciate that. Thank you so much for your time and for being here with us and sharing your wisdom.
0: Thank you, Marcel. It's absolutely delightful. Thank you.
1: I will never forget what Mara taught us today, that formula. It's so simple. S plus T equals B. Situation plus thinking equals behavior. If we start with our thinking and challenge it and look deep inside ourselves by being more self-aware, we could change those triggers that lead to those false belief systems. <laughs> now, that just made my day. Thanks for listening, Love in Action Nation. If this episode brought you value, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts because every episode is going to teach you something about the power of love and care and how that will create amazing results in how we lead and work. Next week, I sit down and chat with Rob Homan, author of the brand new book, All In. Until then, don't forget, love in action. It's what will truly set your leadership apart. Give it a try. Hey, Love & Action Nation. If you're enjoying the format of the show and the topics we talk about, and you want to bring this conversation to your company event or conference, I would love to explore the possibilities, whether it's speaking or moderating a live discussion or a Q&A panel, or even producing a series of podcasts before and after your event, let's talk. You can reach me by email personally at marcel at loveinaction.club. That's marcel, M-A-R-C-E-L at loveandactionc